Welcome to Lawler Out Loud, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Christy Lawler, and this podcast focuses on highlighting the amazing men and women that make a difference in the world. And we hope to prove that every single person has the power to make a difference and make an impact. Today's guest is Ben Salisbury. So first, let me thank you, Ben, for joining us and sharing your story and your experiences in our industry and all of your thoughts on how we move forward, especially after the year we've all had. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. I'm a big fan of your podcast and a big fan of Christy Lawler. So I'm just thrilled to be here. Oh, that's so sweet of you. Well, let's, I, I want to learn more about you. You've had a very interesting um, path to where you are today as an entrepreneur in our industry. Um, but you were, you were a corporate suit. So I would love for you to kind of go into a little bit more about what makes Ben Ben. Uh, yes. Well, uh, I think it's an interesting story. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully others will too. Uh, yeah, it's it's true. Six years ago, well, it'll be seven years in May. I walked away from a very, you know, successful career uh, working for a big publicly traded wine and spirits company, Constellation Brands. I volunteered my VP spot, which was very coveted at a big company like that, because I wanted to pursue yeah. my own thing, and it was very scary um, and exhilarating at the same time, but. Uh, six years, six years later, looking back, I realized that I, pr- I probably had no clue what I was biting off. And people ask me all the time, you know, would I do it again if I had that chance? And I, I say, absolutely, I would. It's been very, very difficult, but I would totally do it. I had spent, I don't know, 30 something years doing what I thought you're supposed to do. Climb the corporate ladder, work hard, sacrifice, get promoted, make more money, get bigger titles that's what I, that was the path I was on. And I kind of had a bit of a crisis as I was turning 50 um, that I'm like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. You know, when you finally reach that place where you're making the money you want and you, and all of that stuff, you realize mm-hmm. it's not, not nearly as satisfying as you thought it would be. So, yeah. so I was really ready to start winding that down and doing something else. Now, sometimes, um, things just work out. Uh, the stock price of Constellation has just had just gone crazy when they formed that big merger with Anheuser-Busch InBev and mm-hmm. started taking over, you know, all that, you know, the beer became a much bigger, the stock options that I had, that the Constellation had used to wedge me out of St. Michelle were starting to really mean something. And so it, it provided me the opportunity to go ahead and cut the cord and make the jump. So, um, that's what I, what I did. And I would love to talk more about what it's been like, but I, I also thought it might be useful just to give a short thumbnail of my background because not everybody knows where I started and all of that. So yes, um, it might be useful just to talk about how I started, um, after 30 years of selling wine and spirits professionally, I decided to strike out on my own, but those 30 years were pretty action-packed. Uh, I went to college for culinary arts and hotel restaurant management at Johnson & Wales in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, I really had a great time working in that industry, front of the house, back of the house. I did my internship at Walt Disney World in Florida. 
I got to spend two summers on Martha's Vineyard cooking at a hotel there. I uh, moved into the front of the house at the Biltmore Hotel in Providence during my last few years of college. And that's where I got interested in wine. I got bit hard by the wine bug like so many people do and just fell down that rabbit hole. Uh, then I had a chance to go you know, the, the economy in Providence was horrible in the early 80s. Interest rates were like 19%. Unemployment was crazy. Oh, my gosh. But Houston was booming and it seemed like everybody was moving to Texas. So I went with a college friend of mine and went down there to take a job helping to run a brand new restaurant in Houston. And so that was 1983. I was 23 years old. It was a great experience. Uh, cool. I got, yeah, it was cool. And there I got involved with the local wine community. I really um, enjoyed the sales distributor sales reps who called on me. I was buying wine and putting together wine lists and all. It was a fun time uh, because California wines were just, just then starting to become really popular. Yeah. But I, uh, the big shift came when one of the salespeople who called on me, who I was also very good friends with, he got promoted at his distributorship, and I was offered his old job selling to restaurants and hotels in Houston, and uh, that began my wine career. And I just, it's one of my favorite parts of my working life of the three and a half years I spent doing that. Then I got promoted, moved to Dallas. I also got married that year to a woman who had three little children. We had a baby together a year later. So with, within one year, I had a new job, new city, new marriage, and four kids. So yeah, that's a big year. It was, yeah. I think about my life as an entrepreneur, and when I get discouraged or overwhelmed, I think back to what that was like. It's, it's, uh, it's tough. But it was, you know, my career really went well. I, I really wanted to get into national accounts. And, you know, you have to put this in perspective in – Late 80s, early 90s, there really weren't a lot of restaurant chains, but they were getting ready to be a lot of them. So it was a great time to start Definitely. your career as a National Accounts guy. I was the first on-premise National Accounts person for Glaciers Distributors starting in 1993. Uh, I was soon joined by Jim Grace. And then, you know, years later, it turned into a huge team. So did R&DC, et cetera. Yeah. But it was really a good time to be starting uh, career in on-premise chains. Uh, and then four and a half years later, I got the call to replace Ben May at St. Michelle Wine Estates, who was one of my idols, my heroes. And so that was my big opportunity. I went from running four states to all 50 mm -hmm. for a very big wine company. And I was only 37. Uh, the first two, three years, I was just terrified that people were going to find out I didn't know what I was doing. I never... <laughs> I never, I never dealt with Florida or New York or California or Chicago or, or Las Vegas. It was all new to me, but I was very lucky. I was surrounded by an amazing team of people, and together we really grew it into a big thing. I spent 12 years in that role. I loved it. I probably stayed longer than I should have. I don't, I don't recommend staying at a place that long if you're trying to you know, move up in the world and keep things varied, but I loved it. I loved the culture. I loved my boss. I loved my team. I loved the brands. So I stayed for a long time. But yeah. in the summer of 2009, so I think I met you somewhere in that window of 2005 yes. to 2009 when you were at Patrick Henry. I yeah. think that's how we met. 
And it was in the summer of 2009 that I left St. Michelle to go be the new VP of National Accounts for Constellation Brands. And I spent five years in that role. And I guess the most salient thing I want to mention is that I, by the time I left Constellation, I had spent 17 years as VP of National Accounts for the whole U.S. working for publicly traded wine companies. That's significant because the level of business acumen required to work for a publicly traded company is so much more intense than private companies. Yeah. And yeah. to survive and thrive and flourish there, it was less about wine knowledge and, and, and all of that. It was really much more about the business side of yeah, the wine business. the strategy of it. Yeah, and that really, so that really prepared me to be a great consultant in the wine industry. I had all these systems and processes and disciplines and, you know, accountability s skills, et cetera, uh, which the wine, the wine industry is sorely lacking in a lot of that. We tend to fall in love with the product and we, we tend to trot out our various certifications, which are great, but sometimes the business acumen side is a little lacking. So that's really a big part of where I've tried to go. So it all went by really yeah. fast, went by really fast. Um, but my, what I didn't want to do was sell and I didn't want to travel after traveling 40 times a year for 17 years, the, the thought of getting on a plane was just insane to me. Um, <laughs> so I, I, the good news about my journey into entrepreneurship was I, I was very, very clear at the start of what I did not want to do and what I did want to do. And that would be my nickel's worth of free advice to anyone uh, as an entrepreneur. And I'm sure you can relate, Christine, is that you've got to yeah. be clear. You got to be really clear with that because the shiny new toy syndrome is real and you get pulled in a lot of different directions. And there's so many things yeah. you could do once you're on your own. So I look back on that and I think that was really, really has helped me. So, yeah. so fast forward six years. I mean, we, I finally kind of like narrowed down what it is I do. So the two things I didn't want to do, I didn't want to travel, I didn't want to sell, but I did want to focus on tech in sales and strategy. So most of what we do is help wineries and distilleries with their sales strategy, mostly driven by tech. So mm -hmm. it's really fun. It's fun to do, you know, what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I'm, I'm like the opposite. I love to sell and I love to travel. <laughs> uh, which is interesting because I, I, I'm not like a salesperson, so to speak. Like I'm never going to go in and like do the, the typical sales approach. Like I really, I, and, and maybe this is like something that I should work on, but if it's something, if somebody tells me to sell something, I don't necessarily want to sell it because they said I should. I only want to sell it if it makes sense for the person who's going to be buying it. Yes. So, and, and I think that especially in our industry where it's relationship driven, um, if you're, if you're trying to just throw everything at the wall to see how much they'll buy, you're completely missing the mark and you're doing yourself and your company a disservice. And I worked with a gentleman once in my career and he was like, I don't care what they want you're going to sell this. And Blah. I'm like, mm, yeah, that's not how I work. I'm, I'm really relationship driven and I'm honest with them. Like if I'm not, if my products aren't going to fit that need, then I'm, I tell them that. And I'm, I just don't want to put something onto a back bar or menu for the sake of saying, look what I did. Yeah. I want to do it because it's going to, you know, move the needle. 
I'm like, so if it's, and it's all about sustaining that relationship and building it. And he's like, you're lying to yourself. If you think the relationship matters, Wow. I'm like, Talk oh about... my God, yeah. how have you managed to keep a job? <laughs> like that was shocking to me. Well, it's more and... common. Yeah. It's more common than you think. People think in a very transactional way, very product focused yeah. way. Uh, one... our, our business isn't like that. I feel. No. Well, and just because I don't like to sell doesn't mean I can't do it well. In fact, yeah. I do a lot of sales training and I train on these exact things you just talked about. That yeah. uh, One of my favorite quotes from Jeff Tool, who wrote a book called Ma- Mastering the Complex Sale. He said, a sale should be a byproduct of a much larger relationship. Yeah. A relationship built on service and dependability and trust. So you're exactly right, Christy. That's, you were selling the right way, which is the relationship is the fulcrum on what all that business turns. So, uh, but our industry, uh, especially wine, I don't know what it is, but they're just full of transactional people who just want to talk about the product until they're blue in the face thinking that is somehow sales. Sales really isn't about persuasion at all. That's the big paradox. This is not. It's about bringing value to a business relationship. Exactly. Yeah, I completely agree. So it's, it's and that's exactly what I teach too. And I I don't know you weren't sitting in uh, when we both did that um, training for Calvin Slack yeah. last year. Yes, I, I you missed mine. Um, I think you were already on the road back to Dallas. Yeah, because um, I don't like to travel. I made a rare right? exception. <laughs> I made a it's rare so exception. Funny. Um, but I think that, you know, and I, I told him, I was like, Hey, if I'm touching on something that Ben's already covered in, in my, um, sessions, just let me know and I'll skip it. Cause I'm not here to, you know, go over something that somebody else has already gone over. Cause I know we have a similar approach in that mm-hmm. sense where it's about providing a value, not making, you know, checking a box and making a sale. Cause the sale, you're right. It's, it's, the benefit, right? The side effect of a mutually beneficial and uh, credible relationship. Absolutely. So it's, yeah, that, that's totally what I preach. It's totally what I practice. Um, but yeah, it's it, like w- when when I hear KPI and blah, all this stuff, I get that that's important, but you don't get there without the building blocks of the relationship, in my opinion, because yeah, it's just... Oh, you're right. And there's some, you know, everyone who cares about uh, having a successful career in sales should read Daniel Pink's book, To Sell as Human. Uh, To me, it's the greatest book on selling. And it it talks exactly what you're just, you're saying. Nobody cares about how much you know until they know how much you care. And that Mm -hmm. selling really isn't about persuasion. It's about bringing value. But nobody says it as well as Daniel Pink. And I just love that book. Should be required reading for all salespeople. Yeah. Because the sales sales done at a really high level is not about closing or overcoming objections at all. It's the opposite of the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross scene with Alec Baldwin. It's the opposite of always be closing. It's yeah. um, and I've written extensively on this. I have a lot of great videos on this. It's a we could talk all day about the art of selling. Yeah. And when you're a business it is owner, that art form. It is. And when you're a business owner, you really never stop selling. It's just the way you sell is is very different. Yeah. Yeah. So you, I, I mean, that's a, it's a beautiful segue because I always ask like how you discovered your inspiration and 
you've, you've touched on that. Um, but I'm wondering, like, it was, it, it was just, you reached that point where you were like, I need more time with my family. I really want to grow a beard. I know that that was important <laughs> to you. Um, and you really wanted to kind of set the tone for how you could um, benefit other companies and not just benefit one company. You, you, th- you were thinking bigger. Yeah. Is that, was, is that accurate? A description of how you found your inspiration? Well, yeah, very much so. I, I've always been intellectually curious. In fact, when I hire people, intellectual curiosity is one of the things I really want to zero in on because I think people are intellectually curious. They never stop learning. They never stop growing. There's always looking for a way to improve. So that goes hand in hand. I'm, so I just was born that way. I was born wanting to learn, to be the best, to figure out, to, to imitate successful people. My mother was a librarian, and she used to bring me these books like Think and Grow Rich, uh, The Power of Positive Thinking. Uh, I remember at 17, she gave me a copy, a, a hard copy of Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm-hmm. So here I am as a late teenager reading about selling and business, and I just never stopped. I've, I've, been, I've read every business book about success and there've been some real, you know, uh, iconic ones like good to great and uh, execution. And so I have all these favorite authors and I love to read. So I've always been a student of business sales, success, Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, the fire of entrepreneurship burned in me the whole time that I was climbing the corporate ladder. Uh, But as a, as a young man with a wife and four kids, I, I didn't have the luxury of, pursuing my entrepreneurial pursuits till much later in life, but I never stopped feeding my brain um, mm-hmm. with all of that. And, and, you know, I'm sure you have the same experience. I, I had the good fortune to be surrounded by several amazing mentors who taught me mm-hmm. what's really important in life, you know, honesty, integrity, hard work, uh, keeping your promises is something as small as just keeping your promises. If you always do what you say you're going to do, and you cultivate this um, reputation of being supremely, supremely dependable, everything else kind of falls in place. Because most people, yeah. most people are not, uh, unfortunately, always d- as dependable as you'd like them to be. Absolutely. But, but, but to your point, you know, there's, I, I, think, I think that being, I, I turned 60 uh, in 2020, and I have a different outlook today than I used to. And it's really accelerated in the last, since I've been out on my own. What, what I'm chasing now, what matters now is very, very different than what it was um, a long yeah. time ago. I, I see that I, have, I can take my experiences and my knowledge and I can use them to, you know, I don't, it sounds cliche to say the next generation, right? But there are a lot of people who love the wine and spirits industry that could use a good mentor. And I want to be that mentor. And, being on my own and creating uh, content, writing articles, creating YouTube videos, creating online uh, content, online courses, there's, those things are really scalable. So what I try mm-hmm. to do is capture and write about and make videos about this stuff that other people could use and benefit from, and I make it widely available to anyone in the world. And so that is really fun. Yeah, my, if, you, if you ask me what is your mission, my mission is to help as many people as possible improve yeah. improve their ability to sell wine and spirits in a way that has very little to do with the product knowledge itself so it's just more about understanding what makes people buy and and how to serve people and how to bring value to business relationship so mm-hmm. i really that's what inspires me and 
Um, one, one, so I get my inspiration even to this day from various sources. I love to read, but in the age of podcasts, uh, I mentioned this to you, and I'm a huge fan of your <laughs> podcast. I love podcasts. I'm constantly listening to podcasts, and I'm inspired by digital entrepreneurs, people who you know, uh, have found a way to scale what they do. So I have a long list of podcasts and YouTube heroes, digital advertising heroes. So I'm constantly feeding those things to my brain. And I turn around and try to create some of that stuff. But I, yeah. that's where I get my inspirations from. Other That's very cool. And I, thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. Well, it's <laughs> going to sound really uh, cheesy, okay, or whatever. But I, you inspire me because I... The fearlessness, this is not, this is not for, entrepreneurship is not for the timid by any stretch, as you well know. <laughs> no, so when not. those of us who are doing it, right, see other people uh, operating, and it's, it's not so much fearless, because courage is, uh, it's not that you don't feel fear, it's just that you're doing it anyway. So it's really this courageous way that you go about the things you're doing. It's very inspiring to me. And I gravitate towards people who do that. You know, who fearlessly forge forth, even even though it's painful as hell, because I because yes. I've been there. Uh, so we have yeah, we stick to we stick together, entrepreneurs, and you've done a great job in your podcast of teasing out of people who who very often don't stop and reflect on their own reasons for success, but you pull that out of them, and that's inspiring to your listeners. Well, and that is my goal too. Um, I think it gives the insight into the person. And, and that's why when I created the witty conference to benefit the witty group, that's really was my primary goal was to gather together this group of powerful women that m many of them know everybody um, or yeah. each other, I should say. Um, some are new to our industry. Some are new to national accounts. But really creating that network that is not based on the typical sales relationship. It's based on the human aspect. So bringing everybody together in this natural environment where there's no makeup, there's no heels, you know, you're in yoga pants. You are at your most comfortable because you're going to get to know people that you know professionally on a personal level. And you're stripping away all of the facade because I'm a very, I'm a very, you know, jeans and t-shirt kind of girl myself. And I, and I hate nothing more than going to a conference and walking around in heels all day and my feet are killing me and I'm having a conversation and all I can think about is, oh my God, I want to take my shoes off. Would they notice? You know, <laughs> like, and I'm completely missing the point of the, the relationship and the conversation because I'm too busy focusing on my physical discomfort. So stripping away those things and focusing on the person on, that's on the inside. That's kind of like why I started the podcast for the same reason. Well, this is you know? no, this is no small thing what you're talking about because it's what ails most of, you know, corporate America. You put on the costume of whatever culture yeah. you're in and you're not really free to be yourself. And if you dare yeah. to be yourself, you could be ostracized. You could be, run out. And I'm very guilty of that. Um, yeah. In fact, that's what the beard was about for me. I, the beard was a signal to myself that I finally reached the place where, A, I really don't give a shit what other people think of me. And, <laughs> and I mean, really, sincerely and truly, like, put it out there, not just some 
chest pounding, but I yeah. really don't care. And I feel secure enough to, that was my signal to myself that I can be myself. I can be myself. Mm-hmm. If I don't want to travel, I don't want to travel. If I don't want to do this, I'm not going to do that. It's not a selfish thing. It's just, it's, it's a chance to be real. For the first time in my working life, I can be who I want yeah. to be. And I don't really care if you like it or not. And you would not believe all the crap I got from people about the beer. One guy even wrote, DM'd me on Facebook and said, Ben, I'm really worried about you. What? I mean, you look like <laughs> a homeless man. And I'm like, look, let me reassure you. I have never been in a better place in my whole life. So don't you worry about me. But my beard made other people uncomfortable. And so yeah. that's, anyway, we could go down that, no, I that mean, trail. Everybody, everybody said the same thing about Al Gore when he lost the yeah. election in 2000. Everyone's like, what's going on with Al Gore? <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's like you're, you're signaling like outwardly that you've, you've sloughed off the cloak of corporate world and you're doing you. Yep. And people are like, oh, this, uh, this is a new thing. I don't recognize this person physically. But it's still the same person. I mean, my husband spent 20 plus years in the military. And when he retired, he grew the hair out. And everybody was like, <laughs> what is going on with that? And I'm like, yeah, he looks like a wildebeest. But he's my wildebeest. And he spent 20 years, 23 years looking like what everybody told him to look like. Yeah. And now he gets, and it's the simplest thing. And he's super happy with his, you know, with his beard and his long hair. And he's just, he's happier than he's ever been. And, you know, we've been together 22 years, 23 years. He's happier than he's ever been. And it's because he gets to be himself. And I think that that's something where we shouldn't have to wait in our lives to be ourselves. No, um, and it shouldn't be that hard to allow yourself to be yourself, but it is. It still haunts me yeah, to this day. I yeah. still have, I look at the clock and I leave the office at three and I still feel guilty. It's even after six years of being on my own, I still feel guilty leaving the office early. It's just, it's hard to shake, but how freeing, how freeing yeah. it is when you, when you get a taste yeah. of just being who you are and not worrying about what other people think. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. That is that is the secret uh, silver lining that most people don't realize um, about entrepreneurship because there's a lot of positives, obviously, and and there's a lot of uphill battles and a lot of struggles, and you know you're giving away certain things to embrace more freedoms, but you know that is a huge thing is that you set the tone as an entrepreneur of how you're going to be a business person, how you're going to respond to people, how you're going to treat people. And it's, it's really liberating. It is. And I would say this to new entrepreneurs, give yourself some time to grow into that because at first it will be very awkward. Uh, It took me probably two years of being away from the corporate machinery before I allowed myself to relax and be myself. Uh, It's just, it's so ingrained in you, you know? So I'm wondering if um, through all of these journeys um, and all of this, you know, personal development, professional development, everything you've done for yourself and for the industry, can you provide an example of a negative time or a negative experience that now looking back on it, you, you view it as a positive? Well, uh, as a fan of your podcast, I've heard you ask this question of lots of different people. <laughs> so I actually have a couple answers ready. Yeah. And I, th- I thought I thought a lot about okay. this because there's so ma- there's so many. Um, I don't. I think if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning. You know. So 
uh, it's okay to admit mistakes. Yeah. It's okay to make mistakes and learn from them. But I have two that might be useful. One, which is my one of my favorite stories. I, I had the best boss in the world at St. Michelle. His name was Glenn Yaffa. He was there for 30-something years. Just a great man. And one of the great gifts he gave me, and he gave me many gifts, was he allowed me to make mistakes without fear of, of, of retribution. Uh, and I recall very specifically early in my career there, my first year, I made a huge mistake. Uh, I agreed to invest in some kind of big program at a big national hotel chain, and it was a lot of money. It was like thirty dollars or $40,000. And the, the program was not very successful at all. I think we sold like 50 cases. And I was just horrified. I was just horrified. Ouch. And I, was, I thought, for sure, they're going to fire me. Yeah. I mean, you can't make a $40,000 mistake and not get canned. And, my bo- and Glenn said to me, my boss said, look, yeah. if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning. And uh, w- all I ask is you don't ever make that mistake again. And I spent the next 12 years probably saving the company, I don't know how many untold hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe a million dollars, because I was determined never to make that mistake again. What a wise man he was. He let me make that mistake. And then they, mm. <laughs> he didn't lose $30,000. He gained a million because... I never made that mistake again. I was super yeah. uh, vigilant about how I spent the company's money, and I made extra, extra sure that it was going to be a wise decision. So that, to me, I, I tell that story a lot. It was a great gift from a great mentor um, to, to have it be okay to make mistakes mm-hmm. because that's how you learn and grow. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a fantastic it's just an inspiring, uh, example. Uh, story of what a great leader does, you know. Uh, my other my other example is from my world of being an entrepreneur. You know, when I first quit my job at Constellation, I, having worked at Constellation, I got to know a lot of people, and 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 it gives you a lot of credibility. Like you you decide to quit Constellation, become a consultant, people return your call. I mean, I I had a pretty easy time the first year or two getting clients and doing work, but I didn't pay any attention to my pipeline. And after I had harvested all the low-hanging fruit, in January of 2018, I woke up with no prospects in my pipeline and no checks coming in and no business. And it was absolutely frightening. So this is the good thing about how it turned mm-hmm. into positive, how you know, life rescued me. I realized I started studying everything I could study about how to bring in clients, how to get leads, how to grow your pipeline. And that led me down this road of Facebook advertising and email marketing. So I hired a Facebook advertising coach. I learned how to write copy, how to design Facebook ads, how to do retargeting, use the pixel, lookalike audiences. I went deep, deep, deep into it. And it literally transformed my business. But that's not the best part. I realized that what I had learned could be very useful and valuable to a lot of my winery and distillery clients. So to this day, a big part of my business is helping small brands with tiny budgets use these powerful tech tools to grow their sales. And so what looked like a death sentence for me turned out to be an incredible um, tool that I could use f- to serve my clients for, with no limits for forever, you know? So that's been a, that was fun. I would not, I guess I had not mm-hmm. run into those tough times. I probably wouldn't have learned Facebook advertising and email marketing like I did. And so it worked out. In retrospect, it was like yeah. one of the best things that happened, even though it was very scary at the time. Yeah, that's it. That's fantastic. Good for you. Yeah, a lot of people that they're faced with that adversity of like, uh oh, yeah. and they they panic. And 
that panic may or may not be productive. So I like that you took the negative realization and turned it into an opportunity to grow the company and yourself and your knowledge well, base. Too. I think it, That's awesome. I love that. I think you every entrepreneur realizes that sometimes the, the big ahas, the big leaps forward only come when you're standing on the precipice of disaster. And that's part of what makes it scary and exhilarating. You know, you, you get yourself in a position where you have no, no choice but to fight your way out of it. And that's how you grow. That's how you develop mad entrepreneurial skills. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yes. honestly, 2020 has done that for quite a few people. And that's why we're seeing so many new entrepreneurs, because 2020 has made it very yeah. clear that so nothing true. is guaranteed. <laughs> so you best be figuring Absolutely. out your contingency plans <laughs> so if you I mean I know you're passionate about what you're doing um, and you really don't have restrictions as an entrepreneur the way that other people necessarily have restrictions but if you weren't doing this and you had zero restrictions to yeah it's a great what question doing? Um, I am doing what I love doing I'm just doing too many hours a week. I mean, if I, I would like to get to the point where, like my fantasy is, to, I love the morning. I'm very productive. I used to get in the office at 6 a.m. From 6 to 11, I am extremely productive and engaged and time just flies. But after lunch, not so much. I don't really want to talk to people. I like to take naps. Uh, so if I could wave a magic wand or, or make this business go the way I want, I would work four days a week five hours, five, six hours a day, and that would be it. And it would be enough, really. Oh, quick side note, that's my other big learning. Mm -hmm. I have gotten in touch with what is enough for me. You know, I used to just think more, 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 more. I want to be a millionaire. I want to have a million dollars a year. I, I don't think that way anymore. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful when I have my basic yeah. needs met and I can do the things I want and provide for my family. So I don't, I don't have that hanging over me anymore. So I don't, I, I just want to be, I want to do what I want to do and have the freedom, the time to do other things. My life is not very balanced right now. I don't spend enough time with my wife. I don't spend zero time taking care of myself physically because it's all about work and building the business. And I tell myself, well, it won't be like this forever. Well, it's going to be like this forever unless I do something about it. So that's my goal is to, I've got some serious goals yeah. for 2021. And one of them is to work much less, make the same, produce the same, and that's why I'm a, the key for me is to move as much as I can to digital products. So I'm putting a lot of emphasis on my online courses and my digital products, so they don't they don't require me to be there physically to deliver the the, the product. Face to face, face to face, one on one consulting is, yeah. is all consuming and time consuming, and I don't want to do as much of that anymore. I'd love to just work with one live client at a time, yeah, and then have my team do the rest or just go to the digital courses and get what you need there. Yeah. That's, you really, you really do need to take care of yourself uh, and terrible. spend that time with your wife. It's just <laughs> not good. Yeah. Oh yes. She does I'm agree. sure she agrees. Yeah. You definitely have well, to, that's a good goal for the good, anyone. The goodness is she works um, in the business with me. So I'm with her all day. It's just not in a leisure setting. It's in a work setting. She's our CFO. She does all of our invoicing, payroll, bookkeeping, yeah. taxes, insurance, and she's very good at it. Um, so we we have an office outside of our apartment, and so 
we work together a lot, but it's not the kind of quality time mm-hmm. you want to be spending with your spouse. Yeah. So if there's, um, is there something that you would go yeah, back to? Yeah, what a natural segue that was because my number one, re- my number one regret is what quitting my <laughs> cushy job and striking on my own, what the toll that's taken on my wife. I really underestimated that. I feel bad about that. It's one of the things that drives me to make sure that I'm successful because she sacrificed a lot. She gave up a lot. Uh, and she's only ever said this one time in the six years I've been doing this, but it, that's all she needed to say it. I heard it loud and clear. She said, "And this was your dream to quit your job and go start your own company. This is not my dream. I'm supporting your dream, but it was not my dream. I liked it. I liked it just fine. Uh, when you're making good money at Constellation and we were traveling all over yeah. the world and all these great perks like Cannes Film Festival and Pebble Beach Food and Wine. I mean, she loved all that stuff. So my my big regret was not factoring in oh, yeah. the toll that this would take on my wife. And if I had to do over again, I probably, well, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I would do differently. I sure would have been more sensitive to how what her perspective was on the whole thing. She's been amazing. I mean, she's just been so supportive and she's proud of me. I mean, we've been married. We just had our 33rd anniversary last weekend. So she knows me and she loves me and she wants me to be successful. She's always proud of me and impressed with me, but it's, (laughs) it's come at a high price for her. And I do feel bad. Yeah. So I want, she's, she's made some sacrifices. Oh, I think it's, you know, you know, this it's touch and go it's feast or famine. I mean, it's it's you wake up every day unemployed when yeah. you have your own company. You got to keep doing it. So uh, I'm I'm scrambling to I'm scrambling yeah. to get it to the point where it's reliable income, so she doesn't have to work. And this is the other bad thing. She's she's our CFO, so she has to look at the checkbook every day, and has looked at it every day for the last six years. Sometimes there's a lot in there. Sometimes there's nothing in there, and it's just terrifying. So she's had a front row seat to the finances, and. So that's the way out of this yeah. is just keep getting it, get it. It's going well. It's headed in the right direction, but get it to the point where it's so consistent mm-hmm. that she doesn't really have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. 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 That could be so I, well, I'm uh, one of the gifts. Bound and determined. But, <laughs> but the good news is she believes in me and she knows that uh, what we are doing together is definitely going to be worth it. That's that's a really interesting and an excellent answer because often we don't necessarily realize what yeah. we're getting ourselves into and what we're committing our families to either. I mean, there's a lot of positives to working for yourself, but you're I mean, it's funny. I was at the playgrounds with my boys last week and I was like, hey, guys, I was like, can we just finish this up? Um, we've been here for 45 minutes and I really want to hmm. kind of finish my work day. So I kind of want to get y'all back home. And my <laughs> eight year old looks at me and he's like, what are you talking about, mom? It's your company. You can decide if you keep working. And right now you've got us at a playground and we don't want to go back home. And I was like, honey, just because it's my company doesn't mean I don't have a boss. When you work for yourself, every single person that hires your company is your boss. You have a lot more of them. He's like, "Uh, I don't think I want my own company one day then. (laughs) I think I just talked my child out of 
entrepreneurialism with that with that little uh, back and forth. But it's it's interesting because the way that my children view um, mom's job is you know seeing it through their eyes. They don't they don't see all of it the way that I do, and and it kind of keeps you honest. It Absolutely. keeps you ha- well, prioritizing back, too. When I look back before I made the leap into yeah. entrepreneurship, I used to be really resentful that I only had four weeks vacation a year. And that, you know, I had to report to somebody and turn in reports. I haven't had a vacation in six years. I, it's like, I don't know how good I had it. You know what I mean? I could go home at the end of the day or mm-hmm. have a weekend and not worry about it. I don't have that now. So it's so funny how naive we are uh, when we're back in our jobs. You know, it's not, entrepreneurship is not necessarily, hey, I'm my own boss. I can do what I want. It's. Yeah, it's much more than that. Yeah, no, I find myself working from every vacation. It doesn't matter where we go in the world. My laptop is there. My work doesn't leave. But it's it's freeing in the sense where no matter where we go, we're not on a timetable. We're not on a clock. I can get the stuff done that needs to get done on my terms um, and still value that time with my family. So that's kind of the nice thing is, yeah, I don't have vacation days anymore, but I don't have sick days. I don't have any of those things, but I have that flexibility to work from anywhere in the world. And that's yeah, nice. and Yeah. And at the risk of leaving your listeners with the idea that entrepreneurship is no fun, I would, <laughs> I would, I would say, I mean, I wouldn't change what I'm doing for anything. I, I want to do what I want to do the way I want to do it with the people I want to work with. And that is a nirvana to me, you know, so I wouldn't trade it oh. for anything. And I agree. There, there are seasons, right? There are seasons in a business. Six years is really quite young in the life of a business. So, and I'm doing what I think is a pretty good job of surrounding myself with incredibly capable people as a team. I'm growing the team so that I don't have to be the one doing it all. That's a decision all entrepreneurs face at some point. Am I going to continue to be a solopreneur or am I going to build a team? Um, so I do see very clearly in the not too distant future, I won't have to do this so much. I will be able to uh, take vacations, take trips. Yeah, so, so. you should. It's part yeah. of the balance of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, what would you want? And this is my my completely oddball question that I always love <laughs> to ask people because it kind of makes them squirm a little. But what would you want um, the listening audience or a stranger to know about you? Um, well, I guess... It's hard for me to separate my myself from my from what I do now that I'm an entrepreneur. So I guess what I would say is I really do want to help. Like my the industry at large, wine and spirits people who are selling or brand owners trying to sell their wares, they they may or may not be aware of just how dramatic things have changed. Even before COVID, things have changed dramatically in our industry. The way product gets mm-hmm. sold is so different. What's required today is so different than it was five, six years ago. And what I want people to know about me is there is a place to go for help. I want to be that person to help. And to prove it, I have, most of what I have to offer is free. It's absolutely free. I have free online courses, free articles, free videos, free training. Um, I figure along the way, if you want to go deeper and you want to hire me, that's great. But in the meantime, I want people to know that there's a place to go to show you exactly what you need to do to transform yourself and be 
a more modern salesperson, leveraging technology, not depending on your distributors, all of these things. So um, there's, and then the COVID has amplified that for me. As soon as, as soon as the lockdown hit, I'm like, I need to start creating more stuff. I, I wrote this 13 page guide called how to pivot to digital selling or how to sell remote, how to sell wine spirits remotely. And over 200 people downloaded that guide. Uh, so that got me thinking, well, what else can I do to help and make education available and free? There's plenty of things you can buy from me, but I also want people to know that I have a ton of free stuff too. Tons of it. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that you're doing that. Cause it's like, it shows the generosity. Like I, I genuinely care. I want to help people. Um, and that's nice. Cause that adds, I mean, it, the benefit is that it adds to your credibility. Yeah. Too. Absolutely. Well, I am, I am so grateful for you coming on the show and sharing all of your insights and, and your, your story. Um, with me, but I, if people want to learn more about everything that you're doing and, and reach out to you, how do you want people to reach you? Well, I would love people to visit my website, SalisburyCreative.com. That's where you'll find all the free stuff. That's where you find out how to reach me. You read my blog, watch my videos. So SalisburyCreative.com is a great place. I also spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. It's not just for unemployed people. LinkedIn is one of the best networking tools to business people I love everywhere. LinkedIn. I'm yeah. with you. <laughs> so you can check me out on LinkedIn. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just there's two other awesome. famous people named Ben Salisbury. One was the the kid on the show, The Nanny. There was a TV show. I don't know, eighties. Oh, really? The little the son. His name is ah. Ben Ben Salisbury. And then there's a British composer who's Ben Salisbury, but. I'm pretty sure I have a bigger social media presence than those guys. So I'm easy to find right? on social media. Maybe. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm easy to find on social media. Well, awesome. Well, I'll be sure to put all the links in the bio too. Um, and I am, I'm really grateful for your time. This has been a, a great conversation and very educational and insightful. And I'm, I'm very appreciative. Thank you. Well, I'm, are you kidding? I'm grateful for you for the opportunity and I enjoyed our conversation very much. And I enjoy watching you do all the great things that you're doing too. You inspire me all the time. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. And thank you all for tuning in to Lawler Out Loud, Mixing Up the Mainstream. <laughs>